Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Hey, hey, welcome back, Maximizers to MaximizeYourInfluence.com. As we learn about sales persuasion, motivation, influence, self-persuasion, mindset, and everything you need to maximize every aspect of your life, including your income. I'm back from Atlanta, did a training, I called it a secret organization last week, or at least I didn't identify who it was, it was the CDC, the Center of Disease Control, that's all I can really say. It went well, and I'll just say they're very passionate about serving and helping the people around them because what they deal with is some pretty serious stuff. I'm off to Vegas to train some upper-level managers on advanced leadership skills. So this week on the podcast, I want to go back to one of the best ofs. One of the special guests, his name was Dave Curlin. I did an interview with him on this Baseline Selling, which is a book that uses the analogy of baseball and selling. Now, Dave's a top-rated speaker. He's an award-winning blogger. He's the CEO of Curlin & Associates. He's known as a sales development expert and was named National Sales Trainer in 2017. His award-winning blog is Understanding the Sales Force. So with that, let's go to the interview with Dave. Thanks, Kurt. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, it's good to have you here to give your insight to teach us how to be more influential, better negotiators, better sales. As we speak on the podcast, everyone persuades and influence for a living. But as tradition speaks, we got to ask you the question as we get started. What is the worst vegetable on the planet and why? Oh, yuck. <laughs> I'm not a big vegetable guy to start with, but I'm forcing myself to eat better. And uh, <laughs> as I become healthier and make better choices in my foods... I reject Brussels sprouts. <laughs> Is that a childhood thing or a lifelong thing? or That's something I'm always struggling with, but I'm trying to do better every day. But Brussels sprouts just doesn't. I can't find a way to, to handle Brussels sprouts. A couple of times I've been in a restaurant where they've mixed it with some nice oil and bacon and tried to give it some flavor so that I could swallow it. But most of the time... I, I reject that the way my dog rejects all vegetables. You know, just <laughs> yeah, no spit it out, leave it sitting it, there on the carpet. <laughs> no matter what you do to it, it's still a Brussels sprout. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they used to say ranch fixes everything, but, you know, Brussels sprouts is, yeah, I don't know if it'll work on that one. But all right, so Brussels sprouts <laughs> it is. Probably one of the top worst vegetables on the planet. But let's get into some great content and give you some tools to help you out. But as we get into this and... Let me just ask you, as you look at the world of sales right now, and your book talks a lot about sales, what do you feel is the biggest mistake salespeople are making right now, that biggest blunder? Clearly, and it is a little bit industry-specific, but more often than not, the biggest mistake that most salespeople make is jumping to the presentation or the demo way too early in the process. And in doing so, they might be able to achieve nice-to-have status for their product or their service, but they're unable to get to must-have. 
And therefore, when they follow that up with a proposal or a quote and try to close and the prospects don't buy and they go into follow-up mode and they don't understand why their sales cycles are getting longer and their win rates are going down, it's because they never got to that must-have to start with. And by skipping the important milestones in the sales process, they never accumulated the leverage that would cause somebody to buy from them and they never qualified properly. So they don't even know if they're dealing with somebody who can buy from them. So if I had to narrow it down to one thing, it would be that. I like that. Nice to have versus must have. So is that a mistake in triggering the right emotions, finding their pain points, not asking the right questions, all the above? I mean, what's all the the above? I think because they're presenting or demoing, they're not asking questions and they're not listening and they're not digging and they're not uncovering a compelling reason to buy and they're not differentiating themselves and they're not creating any urgency, uh, which would allow the prospect to self-qualify at that point. Uh, So it's an uphill battle when you skip all of those milestones. Now in your book, Baseline Selling, you use the metaphor, the analogy of baseball and it's always intriguing to first base, second base. Of course, that meant different things to different people growing up. Of course. I like the analogy, <laughs> but let's talk about big picture. Why baseball in the world of selling? The two things I'm most passionate about in life are baseball and selling. And back in 2004, when I started writing the book, it just came to me. Why not mash those two things together? and make it uh, a visually impressive, conceptually appealing metaphor that people could easily and quickly grasp and follow. So we lay sales process out on the four base paths. The bases themselves trace the evolution of a sales opportunity from suspect to prospect to qualified to closed. And then we can take the generic baseline selling process, marry it up with best practices from a client's company, and we end up with a well-oiled machine, an optimized, properly sequenced, milestone-centric sales process that you can easily follow along the baseball diamond. I like that having a system is critical in the world of influence. And when you look at the world of baseball and in sales, of course, mindset's an obvious thing that's important. What do you see as you work with salespeople? What do you see as the biggest mindset challenge, biggest obstacle people have just with their mindset that they need to improve on to get better in baseball or in the world of sales? Well, I have two companies. One of them is Objective Management Group. An Objective Management Group is the leading provider of Salesforce evaluation and sales candidate tools. And one of the things we measure is sales DNA, the combination of strengths that support the execution of sales process, sales strategy, and sales tactics. And within sales DNA, one of the components, one of the competencies is beliefs. And every salesperson has a collection of beliefs. And when they're supportive, uh, they support ideal sales outcomes. But when they're non-supportive, they sabotage the sales outcomes. And based on what salespeople have for self-limiting beliefs, we can predict what's going to happen to them when they pick up the phone or when they meet with a prospect just by which self-limiting beliefs are in their collection. It's a huge part of selling uh, because beliefs influence behaviors and behaviors influence results. So if the beliefs aren't right, 
the results aren't going to be right or consistent. So are they aware of their own self-limiting beliefs as you do these these assessments? Are they aware of them? I mean, how do you typically that and... Typically, they are not. That has to be pointed out. They have to develop an awareness, and you can't train beliefs out of somebody. So that's where sales management comes in. They, they need a lot of coaching. They have to be coached up, and sometimes it takes affirmations. They absolutely need to reprogram their beliefs. Uh, so that's an exercise we recommend that salespeople go through. Uh, if you want, I can explain how that's done. Sure. Okay, so first uh, we give them uh, the entire list of potential self-limiting beliefs that are sales-related. There's about uh, 70 of them. We have them select those beliefs which they have sometimes found themselves thinking. And then we have them identify the outcomes they get as a result of those self-limiting beliefs. And then we have them estimate how much business they lost in the last 12 months as a result of those outcomes. And then we have them calculate the commissions that were lost in the last 12 months. And then we have them multiply that commission number by the number of years they've been in sales. And that's the value of their collection of self-limiting beliefs. And if the value is big enough, they should be motivated to change those beliefs. So next we have them identify the more desirable outcome they would like to achieve instead of the one they're getting. And then we have them write a new affirmation uh, that would lead them to the more desirable result, an affirmation that would replace the original self-limiting belief. And then we have them record an endless loop of 15 or 20 minutes in their own voice uh, of all the new affirmations that they came up with to achieve those more desirable outcomes. That's the complete exercise. Good. And listeners know beliefs is everything. If your beliefs aren't right, it's your software. doesn't matter what hardware you have. If your software's not working, you're not going to have the success that you want. So let's go there. I'm sure everyone wants to hit that home run in sales and in life and in success, but can you review going around the bases, just kind of that quick system? I don't know if you're able to do that in this amount of time, but is there kind of a quick review of the different bases and sure. a big picture of the system? Sure. To, to get to first base, which is a first meeting, you know, there needs to be a call where we identify some issue that we might be able to solve and we schedule a meeting. So that's pretty easy. Getting from first to second base is the most important part in uh, the generic sales process where they must need what we have. They must have a compelling reason to buy it and a compelling reason to buy it from us instead of from somebody else. We need to develop what I call SOB quality, SOB standing for speed on the bases. Uh, in baseball, a speedy base runner has the ability to totally supercharge the offense and distract the pitcher by dancing off of first base and being a threat to steal second. He causes the pitcher to pay more attention to him than the hitter. And when we do that in sales, when we get a prospect to pay more attention to us than our competition, then we've developed SOB quality. And uh, when we've developed SOB quality, we've built a better relationship. We've shown that we care. We're listening. Uh, we have credibility and expertise, and they trust us, and they know we get them. Uh, and then finally, we have to be able to quantify or monetize the cost of the problem. Now we're at second base, and we have a real prospect. We have some urgency. So now we have to get them 
qualified. So between second and third base, we need to make sure they're committed to solving their problem, that they'll spend more to do business with us, uh, that we're with a decision maker, and that we understand the timeline and their decision-making process and criteria, where we stand versus the competition, whether it's a good fit for us and for the prospect. Now we're at third base with a qualified prospect. And at third base, we can talk about us. We can talk about the company. We can talk about our value proposition. We can present. We can do a demo. We can do a quote. We can do a proposal. We can do testimonials. We can do references. And we can close. And the problem today is that most salespeople get their meeting, get on first base, and then run right to third base and start talking about the company and the product and the service and the value proposition and then go to quote and proposal and they skip everything that needs to happen between first and second base where they build a case and everything that needs to happen between second and third base where they qualify their ability to buy. So the first thing that needs to happen differently is they need to at least have enough awareness that when they're being asked to present, when they're answering the question, so what can you do for us? There's some awareness that says, oh, geez, that's a third base thing. I'm only at first base. I need to get back to first base and ask some questions. Well, those stages are important as far as getting home to, that, to home plate. But you did mention, of course, the closing and the urgency. And it seems like creating urgency for people to buy nowadays is getting very cheesy. We call it high lactose on the show where there's the kind of the old school closing techniques or the sense of urgency what have you seen as working as far as good closing or great urgency techniques so it doesn't come across as cheesy or old school? Exactly. That's why urgency needs to be created early. So if we uncover a compelling reason to buy, like this problem we're having, which is costing us uh, $10,000 a day uh, plus downtime and an incredible amount of stress that I take home with me, if we can quantify that it's been going on for let's say six months i wasn't keeping track of the math but six <laughs> times 30 times 10 six times 300 that's like a 1.8 million dollar problem um, the stress plus the 1.8 million dollar quantification what happens if we don't fix that the right way the first time creates the urgency so that's established early and then we have a prospect that's saying, what do you need from me so that we can get this thing fixed? So they self-qualify. Then we can talk about whatever we want to talk about between third base and home. And you don't have to be a great closer. You know, the close in baseline selling is called the inoffensive close because the final question is only, do you want my help? So that we don't create urgency at closing time. We create urgency prior way prior to closing time, back at second base, so that the close just takes care of itself rather than somebody needing to have the urgency to motivate a, an unqualified prospect who didn't have any urgency to suddenly have some urgency. I hope you got that, listeners. You're creating the urgency early, and it's not going to surprise him when you get to that point. It's not something – and you're, you're persuading the whole time. It's not that That's close. Right. You're creating that urgency, and that can be very, very helpful. And I also like you, you talked about the overcoming a slump. I mean, the world of rejection, the world of sales, the world of influence, even the world of baseball or football, any sports, there's that slump. You're just not, not in the right frame of mind, or there's been a lot of rejection or failure. 
How do you recommend, because I, I can't think of anybody who hasn't gone through this, how do you recommend getting past that slump where you're just not feeling it and you're not getting the results that you want? That's a great question. I have no idea what I wrote in the book for that topic, uh, how many years ago now, like 13 years ago. Um, but today, what I <laughs> would stress is that selling is all about momentum. And it doesn't matter whether things are going bad or good. They're going to keep rolling that direction until you make a conscious decision to change it. So if you're in a slump, the first thing you have to do is recognize that it can only get better. Uh, and if you don't do something different, you're not going to get different results. So for for folks who are in a slump, I would have them, one, get their head back on straight. Go do something that they enjoy. Go have some fun. Just forget all about the problem for a couple of days. Then come in, clean the pipeline out, start from scratch, start with some new prospects, and go about selling those new prospects the right way with a sound, time-tested process that creates the kind of urgency that would make people want to buy from you instead of relying on your product or your service to get people excited enough to buy. All right, because that's real. You don't get your head back in the game. You're not the only one going through it. You know, think of past victories or some things that can help you out there. And and then having a right the right sales process, being able to deal with rejection. And I like what you said earlier about qualifying the prospect, where people just go, Zoom right by that. Are they qualified? They have the budget of the decision makers. So what are your secrets, tips, or strategies, or tools to qualify someone to make sure you're not wasting your time and to continue on to the next basis? Well, that's a great question. And this is where a lot of salespeople screw it up every <laughs> there we time. Are. No sugarcoating here. Um, we like it. Like, I hate, absolutely abhor the questions, what's your budget? or how much is in your budget, or do you have a budget? Those are dead-end questions if they don't give you the right answer. Instead, you have a sense for what it's going to cost at this point, at the point where you're asking about money. You have a sense of what it's going to cost to solve their problem or provide a solution, whether it's a product or a service. So ask them. But you don't ask them about the money on an island. It's not in a vacuum. You have to incorporate the problem you uncovered and the impact that it's having and the compelling reason. So it would sound like if we use the example from before, are you willing to spend $50,000 to get the problem with the downtime that's costing you $10,000 a day and creating an incredible amount of stress fixed the right way the first time right now. So you always introduce the cost of your solution in the greater context of the cost of the problem and the compelling reason they have to fix it. I like getting them qualified, asking the right questions. I like to be talked about budget because – People got all tense, but if you if you've done your interview the right way and you're you're the consultant, you've you know what it's gonna the investment's gonna be, you know what their pain points, how much it's cost to them. Those are all things that make a big difference in your success. So during this process, as far as going from base to base, how do you suggest people handle the resistance from going from base to base? Because that's a real thing. What are your keys and tips to dealing with resistance if you're not getting the right answers you want or they're not opening up like you want them to. Resistance is the most misunderstood part of selling. You know, we hear people talking about the science of selling and the art of selling. 
we've got both things right here. The science of selling is this milestone-centric, optimized, properly sequenced sales process we're following. Resistance is the art of selling. Your ability to manage resistance is an art form. You have to be able to recognize it. And you must be able to understand that when the resistance is high, it doesn't matter if you're the greatest person in the world working for the greatest company in the world, selling the greatest product in the world, they're not buying anything. And you also need to understand that if their resistance is low enough, you don't have to be the greatest person from the greatest company with the greatest prospect. They're sellable. So if you understand that your first order of business is lowering resistance and you pay attention and observe anything you might say or do that might raise their resistance, the next thing you do is always say something to lower their resistance before you do anything else. Like it, Dave. Great information. Let me just ask you, what is the one thing I miss? What is the one thing you think our listeners need to know as they become power persuaders and the ability to persuade people to their point of view? Great question. There are probably 20, 20 more things we could talk about, but top of mind right now um, with CRM playing such a, a widespread and important role in salespeople's lives is you've got to stop looking at CRM as a tool and start living in CRM. Don't live in email and use CRM as a tool. Live in CRM and use your email as a tool. It'll help you to keep your pipeline full, it'll help you keep your opportunities moving, and it'll help you close more business. Well said, good information, listeners. Maximizers, hope you took some great notes. Let me just ask you this, where can our listeners find out more? Where can they find out more about you and what you do? Well, Google me, Dave Curlin, K-U-R-L-A-N, and everything will come up. My award-winning blog, my book, uh, both companies, doesn't take much. <laughs> Good old Google fixes everything. All right, that was the interview on Maximize Your Influence. That originally was podcast 217 with Dave Curlin. Check him out. I did love his analogies. Of course, all the archives are available on Influence University, and that can be found at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. You can find the Persuasion IQ test, the free book, MaximizeYourInfluence.com. You can contact me at Kurt. K-U-R-T at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. And of course, all the latest podcasts are there or on iTunes and Spotify. So take what you learned today. There were some great nuggets in that interview. Learn to apply those just a little bit every week and go out and persuade with power. <laughs>